Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Lovely listeners, my podcast sponsors, Foreo, have got a mega invitation for you. If your face is feeling puffy, breaking out, or just feeling a bit dull in this humid weather, then you can get 20% off their groundbreaking UFO face mask that acts like cryotherapy for your face. The technology is so groundbreaking, they called it UFO because it's out of this world, and I can testify. I literally have my face mask on most days to cool down, and it transforms how I look in minutes. Foreo are world leaders in the beauty tech industry and so it is a complete privilege to be partnering with them. They are offering Not Perfect listeners 20% off and it's a significant amount so do check out the link in the show notes to find out more. So for creative brainstorming type thinking where you're taking lots of different things that may not be connected obviously and trying to come up with a new solution to them. The best thing you can do is go for a walk or some form of movement naturally turns down activity in this part of the brain that constrains our thinking. And that's why ideas can then pop through and you can think of things in, in ways that you might never have considered. So sitting at your desk and banging your head off the desk and going, ah, I need an idea for this. I've got a meeting in an hour is not the best way to go about it. The best way is to just go for a wander. Welcome to series 11 of the Not Perfect podcast, a show that's here to share conversations with world-leading thinkers to help us grow, stretch our minds, thrive, and heal from within. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author of Happy Not Perfect and entrepreneur. I've spent the last decade exploring how we can live better, support our mental health better, expand our consciousness, and feel full even when things feel turbulent. I hope you enjoy the show. Today's interview is with someone I am so excited to speak to because her new book, Move, is genuinely a must-read for every single person. Caroline Williams is a best-selling author and a science writer and writes for many leading publications globally, from The New Scientist to the BBC to The Times, Telegraph, Boston Global, and many more. She's the editor of The New Scientist's Instant Expert Guides, How Your Brain Works Inside the Most complicated object in the known universe and your conscious mind unraveling the greatest mystery of the human brain. Her first hit book, Override, looks at rewiring the brain and her latest book, Move, delves into why we need to move our body to look after our brain. This book had me glued to it. I had no idea how much of a disastrous effect our sedentary lives are having on our IQ, mental health and of course physical health. As we've become stuck to our screens, research suggests our intelligence and creativity has taken a hit and our anxious thoughts have multiplied. I cannot wait to dive into this conversation with Caroline who writes in such a witty, fascinating and heavily research-backed way about why we need to move our legs and perhaps have a dance. 
what is a favourite quote you return to often and why? So I have actually on my office wall, it's uh, Maya Angelou. And it's, if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be. Why do you have that on your wall? Such a good quote. I've always, like a lot of people, felt a little bit unusual, a bit different. You know, you go through life, try and fit in, you try and find your place in the world. And actually, that's a really nice reminder that just be yourself. And if it's a bit weird, then find your other weird people and and all will be well. It is such a good reminder. And it does make me think how odd it is at all ages I kind of think you you do obviously grow out of that slightly or you have more confidence to be yourself but I do feel kind of at at every age to some extent there is that weird pressure of like pretending to be normal or even what normal is I think there's also this kind of myth that at some point you're going to be a grown-up and it's all going to make sense and you're going to be sensible and (laughs) and actually that well I'm 47 and it's not happened yet so I'm I'm guessing that it doesn't happen let's just go with it (laughs) what's a life lesson you've been reminded of my brother said something quite profound to me when I was learning to drive years and years ago when I was 17 Um, and I don't think he meant it in any profound way but he just said to me stay doing your own speed and move through the traffic And I often come back to that one. Another is my dad once said to me, Caroline, nothing is ever as bad as you think it's going to (laughs) be because I was freaking out about something as I tend to do. Uh, And that um, with, you know, maybe one or two notable exceptions has always been true. Like it's almost never as bad as you think it's going to be. It's really nice. And how do you understand the soul? I don't really. I think it's a mystery. You know, I've spent many years looking at the brain and consciousness and how we understand you know this experience that we have of the world and I've sort of come to the conclusion that nobody knows if we knew that Mm. you know if I knew that I would write a really really good selling book and it's one of the the lovely mysteries of life I mean the only thing that I can come back to is you know it's the it's the goodness of us and the care we have for each other and the kindness that we spread in the world and, and just being authentic to, to who we are that's the closest I can do other other than that I don't know let's let's find out <laughs> so your book I would say is probably the best book for anyone to read if they are wanting to know more about their mental health yeah I think let's start off with talking about actually how shocking some of the research is and I'd love to start with that what worried you most when you're researching this book and why are you so passionate about writing about movement? Well, I think, um, you know, to your point that talking about mental health as if it's not to do with things that are below the neck, um, that thought occurred to me when I was working on my previous book, Override, trying to, you know, fix all these various things, including anxieties and things in in my brain. And then it, it sort of just became clear that just imagining that your brain and that you stops at the neck is just completely wrong. Of course, we are very complex animals and everything is wired together with, you know, neural wiring and kilometers of pipes with blood and lymph and all sorts of things going on. And so I wanted to know, you know, what is that? And, And how, why do I feel better when I move my body? What's that all about? What's going on? And it wasn't really until I looked into that and started thinking, hang on, this sort of chimes well with, are increasingly sedentary lives and if if movement is important for our health and mental well-being what are our lifestyles doing to us and that's when it really hit home this is a really important subject because our brains were made to move our bodies and so this idea that there's a disconnect between the way our brains work and the way our 
bodies, what we do with our bodies is completely wrong. In fact, we evolved to be, and this is my one of my favorite descriptions, cognitively engaged endurance athletes. So we, we evolved on the savannas, you know, you've heard the story a million times before, to hunt and to gather. And that is work that needs not only the ability to move your body well for long distances and to be strong, but it also needs a brain that is sharp, that you can work together, you can think ahead, you can plan, you can collaborate, you can communicate. And so these things got tied together at this point in our evolution. And we're sort of stuck with the same system now. So if we do move our bodies, then research suggests that the decline that's going to happen with aging happens a lot faster if you have a sedentary lifestyle to the point where 13% of Alzheimer's cases can be traced to a sedentary lifestyle. That terrifies me quite a lot. There's, it's been linked to, you know, the huge rise in mental health issues, even a sort of decrease in social behavior, pro-social behavior is linked to our sedentary lifestyles. So it matters a lot, but importantly, it's not talking about doing more exercise. It's about breaking down the sedentary time. So it's not about necessarily going running two or three times rather than once. It's about spending less time sitting because that's what correlates with long-term brain health and cognitive function and mental health. I couldn't believe it when you started to write the fact that we are getting more stupid because we're sitting more. Yeah, so there are studies, so in an individual lifetime, people's IQ decreases more, faster, steeper, if they spend more than a few hours a day sitting compared to somebody who's more active. And at the population level, I mean, obviously, there's a lot that goes into IQ at a population level. But ever since we started measuring IQ, IQs were going up steadily at the population level, pretty much everywhere they measured it. And that was put down to things like better education, better healthcare, just health in general. But it's reached a point in the last 10, 15 years where that started to level off and started to go in the, in the opposite direction. And one of the things that's really changed in our lifestyles in that period is that we're much more sedentary than ever before. And given that we know that physical movement is required to keep our brain at peak capacity to learn and to change and to make these new connections and to be healthy, that would seem to be something that's that's very important that we address at a population level. To pick up on the point just before, this idea of actually just binging at the gym is not the way to improve your mental well-being, is it? And I thought that was kind of interesting because it does seem quite extreme in our culture at the moment where you have ultra fitness buddies Mm. telling everybody to work out more. And actually, to your point, that's not where you're really going with this, are you? Gym going isn't the solution. No, I mean, it's not a bad thing. I wouldn't discourage people if that's how they love to get their, their movement in, then, you know, go for it. But but I think that's the idea that we need to do more exercise is off-putting for a lot of people because mm. not everyone's into getting into lycra and sweating and, you know, <laughs> doing sport. You know, sometimes people just don't want to do that. But the long-term studies show that the link between brain decline and sedentary lifestyles, it correlates with the amount of time you spend sitting, regardless of whether you do some high-intensity exercise during the day. It genuinely isn't about go for a run in the morning and in the evening. It's about trying breaking up the sitting that you do in the day, even if that's just like a quick walk or a quick 
kitchen dance when the kettle's boiling and have a bit of a boogie around for a minute. Anything that just gets you moving. I, I also fidget and move from my office to downstairs and sit on the floor. And, you know, anything that gets more movement into your day is important. And it doesn't have to be about being some kind of fitness fanatic and, and getting sweaty all the time. In the book, you do touch upon, and you just have now, you know, our evolution. And what does evolutionary biology tell us about why we need to move more? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of use it or lose it is a basic evolutionary rule. In terms of the link between physical activity and the brain, it's particularly true for humans. And that's because of this evolutionary history we have as hunter-gatherers. Some animals can get away with being sedentary and there's no impact. But because of this link between the need to forage for long distances and think and work together, because basically humans are quite puny animals. If you're going to survive as a hunter and you're a human, you need something other than brute strength and speed because we don't really have much of that compared to other animals. So we had to use our brains and, and work together and be smart. And so the sort of physiology got tied together. So we've, we've known for a really long time that when we exercise, the brain invests not just in muscles and fitness, it invests in new brain connections, in new neurons and new blood vessels to feed all the neurons in the brain. Everything just works better. And so, yeah, it makes sense in an evolutionary sense because we need to have a brain that can help us hunt and gather. But if you're living in a, on a savannah where you don't know when the next meal is going to come from, you know, if you're not using your body, if you're not having to go out and hunt, it makes sense to trim back a few connections and, you know, lose a bit of muscle, but also use, you know, make a bit few savings in the brain because brains are very expensive bits of kit to run. And with that kind of use it um, or lose it philosophy, I think it communicates quite an urgent call to action for us all to move a bit more. Because if we do continue for the next 10 years in this sedentary way like we are now, it could have pretty disastrous consequences. Well, I mean, I think we're talking about, you know, being the best that we can be. I don't think we're going to, you know, completely turn into, you know, stupid couch potatoes overnight. But, you know, there are many problems in the world that need urgent solutions and they need creative thinking. And, you know, one of the best ways to to think creatively is to get up and move and let your mind wander. So there's, there's sort of neuroscience studies that show that that's a really good way to get the, the brain's um, creative juices flowing. And so, if we're going to think well, if we're going to be creative, solve the problems of the future, then sitting around is not the way to do it. So I think if we want to be the best we can be, it's kind of non-negotiable. And to get kids started young is the most important thing, because then we won't have the next generation coming through not working at their best mental capacity. And human brains are amazing things. We should be giving them all they need to work at, at full capacity. I think in your book, you write that 70% of our life is sedentary now and children since the 80s, they are 30% more sedentary than they were, you know, 30 years ago or something. I mean, that's pretty worrying. Yeah, it is worrying. And especially when you look at things, I mean, obviously at home, they spend a lot more time on screens and less time running around in the streets and on their bikes. Um, but even at school, that you know, break times are, are shortened, PE is cut. There just isn't the opportunity to get out and move. Although that is starting to change. There's some great things um, like the Daily Mile, which was introduced by a head teacher in Scotland um, called Elaine Wiley. So she noticed that children were becoming more sedentary and she was noticing the effects on their health. And she and originally this was 
their physical health. They were becoming mm. overweight and, and sort of unfit. And so she brought in this thing called the Daily Mile, where at some point during the day, the teacher can say, OK, everyone, pencils down, let's go. And they would drop everything, not even change their shoes, go outside and run around the playground for 15 minutes. Or they could walk, they could chat, they could shout and scream, they could do whatever they wanted to, but they had to be active for that 15 minutes and go back into the classroom afterwards. And since then, it's spread to loads of schools. Um, thousands of children are doing this. And studies of these children, they've improved their grades, um, their mental health has improved, their, their ability to focus is improved, as well as their physical health. So there's things like that that are starting to, to trickle in. Kids love it, the teachers find it useful, and it's good for everybody. But and so that's the sort of thing I would like to see moving forward is, is to get that and to normalise something similar in work life. Because how many people feel that they have to be chained to their desks all day, otherwise they're not working? And that just isn't the case. I think this is why your book made me feel like so passionate about this, because the way that people are running offices is so counterintuitive to actually helping people be more creative, helping people problem solve by, you know, to your point, chaining them to desks, having that feeling of presentism. And I loved the research you did around if you distract yourself for three minutes, you were much more able to solve a problem more creatively. Mm -hmm. What was the research that really stood out for you in terms of, oh my gosh, everybody needs to know this? I mean, the really, it really is the simplest things that for creative brainstorming type thinking, where you're taking lots of different things that may not be connected, obviously, and trying to come up with a new solution to them. The best thing you can do is go for a walk or some form of movement that is physically easy for you, easy enough that your mind can wander. So that might be a bike ride or a kayak or a run some people can let their mind wander when they run not me I'm thinking about not dying but but yeah just simply going for a walk has been shown to improve that kind of thinking where you're trying to come up with a novel solution and there are there are sort of brain-based reasons why so when we're sort of moving at an easy pace it sort of turns down activity in the part of the brain that's just behind the the forehead the prefrontal cortex creativity researchers call that the box so that's sort of like the constraint on our thinking the bit that kicks in and says don't be silly you know no, that's not going to work you know and, and and it's and it's very useful when you're trying you know say if you want to write something down you have a lipstick and a pen in front of you you don't spend ages thinking which would work better for the job in hand you just go okay fine boom and you go for the pen because pens are for writing so it's it narrows our thought processes but when you're thinking creatively and you need a new solution to something that's not the kind of thinking you want and so Moving in a sort of an easy way naturally turns down activity in this part of the brain that constrains our thinking. And that's why ideas can then pop through and you can think of things in, in ways that you might never have considered. So sitting at your desk and banging your head off the desk and going, ah, I need an idea for this. I've got a meeting in an hour is not the best way to go about it. The best way is to just go for a wander. So yeah, I do feel quite passionately about that. That and you know, people often ask me as well, what do you think about treadmill desks then? And I'm like, well, that is not the answer. Like chaining people to their desk in a slightly different way is not what we need here. We need a bit of flexibility that people can do what's best for them. I guess though, treadmill desks are better than sitting desks. I mean, marginally. But I don't know, it just it doesn't appeal because you're still looking at the same four walls, you're still you know, you're not being exposed to nature and different sounds, you know, it doesn't 
change your environment. But, you know, physically, I guess it would get some of the, it'll get the blood flowing, increase the heart rate. Yeah, I mean, I can see that there are benefits. But I, if I was working in an office and they said, right, you said you wanted to move, here's a treadmill desk, I think I'd be a bit disappointed. I'd rather just walk around the block for 20 minutes and then come back and get back to my desk and get back to what I'm supposed to be doing. Hey guys, just to interrupt for a second to ask you whether you're experiencing humidity or heat at the moment. If so, then this is interesting. My summer has been particularly hot and my skin really doesn't work well. I wake up puffy, it feels dry, then it gets oily and I experience many other symptoms you may relate to also. So this is why I'm excited to tell you about the UFO 2 smart masking device from Foreo, the world's leading skincare tech brand and my podcast partners. Truly, get your dream skin in just two minutes. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com minutes with this supercharged at-home facial for an instantly nourished, natural, healthy glow from the very first use. You can travel with it. It is just brilliant. It offers professional results through the fusion of four technologies and full customization. The UFO 2 uses full-spectrum LED light therapy to revitalize, diminish signs of aging, and improve overall skin texture for beautifully smooth and soft skin. Top off the treatment with cooling cryotherapy to lock in moisture and visibly reduce puffiness. Honestly, it's quite amazing and I genuinely couldn't recommend it more. I use it before parties, weddings, meetings, and it's like I've slept for about 20 hours. There is a huge discount for the month of July, so please do use it. Foreo have partnered with Current Body, the beauty device experts, to offer Not Perfect listeners an exclusive 20% off all Foreo products for the month of July. So to claim your discount, head to currentbody.com slash notperfect, and this will be in the show notes. And thanks again to Foreo. The UFO2 has changed my life this summer. Cryotherapy for the face is one of the most genius inventions. The part of the book talking about bones was mm. um, really interesting because I guess when we think about our, our physical health, I think our brain naturally, well, mine does anyway, goes to muscles and, yeah. you know, those sorts of things. But actually, you were saying how walking puts pressure on the bones, which then releases a chemical that then has a benefit on the mind. Can you tell us a bit more about that? 
Yeah. So this was one that really surprised me because you don't think of your bones as releasing hormones. You just, you know, you, don't, you think of glands releasing hormones. And also, I think we tend to think of our bones as being these sort of dry sticks that sort of keep us upright. But actually, they're living tissues. They're constantly being built up. So if we put more pressure on our bones, if they have to work against gravity to move us around and hold us up, then they invest in putting more bone density in, more cells in. And if we don't, we know from astronauts and people that are on bed rest that we lose bone mass. And so we know that it's important to move for that, especially for women, especially, you know, middle-aged women onwards. But it's also important for our brains because as the building up of bone happens when we've been physically active, the bone releases this hormone called osteocalcin, which has nothing to do with physically building bone. It goes into the blood, it travels to the brain, and we know that it interacts with parts of the brain that are important for memory and learning and also anxiety. So we know from studies in in mice that if they don't have this hormone, then they are very anxious little mice. They hide in the corners and they also aren't very good at finding their way around a maze. Um, If you give them osteocalcin, they're absolutely fine. And, And also there are studies now in humans that suggest that it's linked to cognitive decline. Sadly, we do lose osteocalcin as we age. So that's another reason why from mid-adulthood onwards, it's really, really important to do some form of um, weight-bearing exercise. But yeah, it's, it's just another link between the body and the brain that is so unexpected that, you know, we need to move against gravity. And when we do, our brains work better um, because of what's happening to our bones. So th- there are all these connections between the body and the brain and the mind that, that are just emerging. And it's really, really exciting. It's just one more reason um, to get up and, and move about. The other piece of research in the book that, again, just left me totally super excited about everything you're writing about is the fact that the direction of movement actually impacts your emotional health Mm. and also the way you walk. So the research around if you have more bouncy steps, that also has an impact. Can you tell us a bit more about that research? Yeah, so the direction of movement is really interesting because it's been known for a long time that going for a walk makes you feel better. But there's this really interesting psychological research that suggests that the direction of movement matters for how you think and the way that you feel. So most of us have this perception of time that the past is behind our backs and the future is ahead of us in front of our chests. And studies suggest that if you ask people to move forward through space, it gives this illusion that you're moving further away from the past and you're moving into the future. And so you feel more hopeful. Other research is suggesting that you can remember more positive thoughts if you're moving forward and it's harder to remember negative things. So that just that simple act of moving forward through space, and it doesn't have to be walking, it can be cycling, kayaking, swimming, whatever just makes you feel like you're getting somewhere figuratively as well as getting somewhere literally. So um, that's just possibly the simplest thing. And as for sort of the lightness on your feet and the bouncing, this is sort of grounded in embodied cognition, which is that, you know, the way that we um, move and the direction that we travel makes a difference. So that being light on our feet, so feeling light is associated with feeling happy and being on the up is, you know, a good thing. And so if you can sort of walk lightly on your feet and make bouncing movements, then that sort of lifts mood. And there's some interesting research to suggest that that's actually the case as well. So yeah, walking lightly and whilst going forward uh, might look a bit stupid, but you'll feel happier. 
You talk about how there's a particular type of walking that has additional therapeutic impact if you match up your heart rate to your steps. Yes. What is that all about? How can we walk in a way that is most therapeutic? Yes, yeah, so th- uh, this comes from some really interesting research. This guy called Dick Green, who I think should talk to everyone. He's a great character. He used to work in the oil fields of Texas, and then he stopped, got interested in the pipework of the human body. And his research suggests that when we put weight on our feet and move, that sort of, we almost have pressure sensors in the bottom of our feet, that when we put pressure on our feet, it sort of sets up turbulence in our blood vessels, and it adds up to a boost of blood to the brain which in a way I guess isn't all that surprising. But what he also found out was if people synchronize their footsteps at 120 steps per minute, the heart rate tends to synchronize with the footsteps at 120 beats per minute. And at that sweet spot, it sends more blood to the brain, like an extra boost of about 15%. And he speculates that that might account for this feeling of loveliness you get you know the feeling the the good feelings you get from exercise um you know there's more research needed on that obviously but this idea is it's a brisk walk it's not a meander but if you can walk two steps per second and keep it up for a while then that's one way to kind of boost blood flow to the brain help you feel more focused just a bit more alert um and just feel really good I love that and again it's just so easy I mean going back to depression and movement on the National Health Service website, it says that, you know, five days of exercise is the, a week as the equivalent of a low-grade antidepressant. So there is so much public research that is supporting this being hugely beneficial intervention for mental health. But just doubling down on the rhythm aspect, I love the fact that you included um, how two-year-old babies mm-hmm. were found to recognize rhythm. Um, yeah, in fact, newborn babies can recognize a a rhythm. So they put sort of electrodes on a baby's scalp. And if you play them a regular beat and then you skip a beat, their brains respond in a way that suggests they noticed. So we're hardwired to recognize rhythm and to respond to it because we know that as babies grow and get more control over their movements, the more they are able to keep to a beat, the happier, the more they smile when they're doing it. And there's these adorable experiments with toddlers where people bounce them on their knee in time to music and then they put them down on the floor and then pretend to drop something. And the toddlers are far more likely to pick the thing back up and give it back to the adult if they've been bounced in synchrony. And experiments with adults as well have shown that if we move together in time with each other if we synchronize our movements we tend to care about each other more and are better at working together afterwards and you know that's one of the theories of how dance evolved in the first place is a sort of social glue that got us to care about each other to look after each other because humans are quite puny animals really you know if we're out in the wild you know we don't we're not that fast we're not that strong but yes the idea of being an expert dancer is sort of by the by you just need to move with other people whether that's dance or yoga or you know however you like to get your movement But interestingly, in terms of skill, with strength, which is hugely important for self-esteem, for resilience, it's like a long-standing body of research that is almost unknown, really. You don't have to increase the size of your muscles to be able to see anything on the outside to get the increase in self-esteem, resilience, self-confidence, and um, 
this thing that uh, psychologists call global self-efficacy, which is just basically, I feel like I can handle life. You don't need to be able to see it, but you can just feel it on the inside. And that's far, far more important than, than anything, you know, any bulging muscles that you might want to get. And to your point about strength, I thought it was fascinating the research you found around the teenagers that did do strength training found an increase in confidence and self-esteem. Yeah, so the research on the teenage girls, you know, it goes back to the late 80s. We've known this for quite a while. So there were these young girls, they had their strength improved through weight training by something like 40% over 12 weeks. And they started reporting increases in sort of confidence and ability in things that had nothing to do with physical strength. So maybe it was in difficult conversations or, you know, disagreements or, or just basically life in general. Being a teenage girl is not easy at the best of times. It wasn't in the <laughs> 80s and it's certainly not easy now. So that it just goes to show that research since then has backed this up time and time and time again, that just feeling stronger on the inside kind of gives you this internal sense of I can handle life, this resilience. And and it's a really important thing that I think is very easy to neglect. And especially now we, we know that there's research showing that women in the workplace don't ask for pay rises, you know, don't push themselves forward. It's hard to feel like you can take up space in a room. Strength training can sort of make some of that go away you know you can feel powerful on the inside and it can spill over into life in ways that you can't exactly put your finger on but you just feel more capable so I think it's really important research I just it gets me so excited this sort of stuff because I just think we can all do it do you know what I mean we can all just kind of add some I don't know just even lifting our kitchen chairs you know and (laughs) and all of these really small things yeah I mean there's there's any number of ways I mean the one that that I do the most you know so just take every opportunity to use my strength use my body so I spend a lot of time sitting on the floor because then you have to get up and that strengthens your legs you're basically you know leg pressing your entire body weight every time you do that things like you know if there's something that needs carrying I don't accept help from anybody you know just taking it upon yourself move stuff around carry stuff when I'm putting the bike rack on and off the car I don't shout for help I just go no I've got the strength to do this I know how to do this and you know some people I met during my research for the book the, the move nat people. So it's all about moving your body, learning to lift things, carry things in a useful way. It's not about just doing bicep curls for the sake of bicep curls. You're, you're learning to lift things so that you can lift things. Um, and so you can build that into your life really, really easily. So um, yeah, there's lots of ways to get fit. It doesn't have to involve joining a gym. It doesn't have to involve getting changed into Lycra, you know, <laughs> not at all. The chapter on stretching, this was another one that had me totally fascinated how does stretching relate to inflammation and then how does this calm the mind? It relates to not, we often think of stretching as being to do with the muscles and it kind of is, you can release some tension that's been held in muscles from sitting too long or or whatever, or bad posture. But more important is the tissue that sort of, there's a couple of layers of it under the skin and over the muscles and it's fascia, which is basically like nature's version of cling film it wraps all the muscles and it wraps the tissues and allows them to slide over each other and the research shows that when we stretch not necessarily getting your leg behind your head by the way just you know in the normal human range of movement this has effects at the level of the cells which causes them to become longer and flatter and release chemicals that are important in reducing inflammation so it's beginning to look like it's really really important for just flushing 
fluid through the body, moving things along, keeping everything healthy. And this tissue has been ignored for centuries. You know, when people did anatomy in the early days, they scraped the stuff off and threw it in the bin because it didn't look very interesting. But it's now emerging as a really important tissue that's biologically active. Inflammation is right at the border between physical health and mental health. It's, you know, implicated in depression and anxiety, everything from heart disease, obesity, every, I mean, everything you can think that can go wrong with the human body and mind, inflammation is somehow involved. So being mobile at the very least and stretching to the, that it feels good is starting to look like a very, very good idea for your overall health and well-being. Again, I just love how simple and how effective all of these tips are. And obviously in the book, you go into far more detail. The psoas muscle is this other kind of, again, never really heard about this before. And I've obviously researched a lot around this area. So it was a bit of a, wow, I didn't know about this. Why is the psoas muscle linked to the mind? Yeah, so the psoas muscle essentially links the upper body to the legs. And so the idea that's talked about quite a lot is that it's important in the fight or flight response because it's what kind of gets you moving and escaping in an emergency and it's also this psoas muscle is shortened when we sit too much and so there's there's some people suggesting that because we sit so much our bodies are in a state of half formed fight or flight and so that might account for some of the stress and the you know the anxieties and the things that we have I did look into research in this area I couldn't find a lot but yes, clearly that is posture and sitting too much is not great for that muscle or any of them. So um, <laughs> stretching that and all the others is a good idea. The other um, quite unusual body part that you touch upon in the book is the inner ear. Mm -hmm. And that also impacting our mental well-being. How does the inner ear link with all of this? Yeah, so this came out of the um, the dance chapter as well. And I love this. I love this. So there's a researcher who looks at the links between the balance organs of the inner ear and how it makes us feel. So these balance organs are linked to the emotional centers of the brain, the limbic system. And the idea with why dance might make us feel good is that it's sort of the physical equivalent of when we are told a joke and we think we know where it's going and then the rug's ripped out from under us and we go, like, oh, and it's, it's a relief that it's just a joke and we laugh that when we're dancing, we're basically almost falling over and then catching ourselves. And it's kind of doing the same thing. And it just feels really good to not be falling over and to be having a nice time doing it. And so this accounts for things like why we like going on swings and uh, roller coasters and riding down hills going wee on our bikes, you know, just throwing ourselves off balance makes us feel good. It just lifts the mood. And I just love the fact that we're sort of joking around with ourselves. Oh, you're going to fall over. No, you're not and falling and catching ourselves over and over again. Again, just another such a, when you, it's those aha moments that I felt I got throughout this book being like, oh, that's why that feels so good. Or, oh, need to remember to do that when I'm next having one of those kind of like anxious moments. So since reading your book, the first thing I did, and I do love morning walks, and I had, in a way, I'd kind of forgotten how much I love them. And this book really got me back into doing my morning emails while I was walking. And it wasn't a struggle to open my inbox. It wasn't a struggle to kind of answer the emails I don't want to answer. How, through all the research you've done, how has this impacted your life the most? And what are the things that you've actually really kind of like stuck to? 
I've always been a bit of a bit of a fidget, but I embrace that now. And so, you know, I might work at my desk for a while and then I'll go downstairs and I'll sit on the floor or I'll lie down with my laptop. I just make sure that I mix it up and try and, you know, not sit for too long because now I've got the research to back up what I already thought, which was this isn't the most effective way to get work done. And also giving myself permission to down tools and go out for a walk because even as someone who's self-employed it feels a little bit like skiving when you just go out for a walk but you know the research suggests that going for a simple walk can increase creativity um you know all this thinking forward if you're trying to think of a new idea and strategy and and all kinds of things there's so many things that we can do more effectively on the move so I tell managers and you know leadership folk this all the time if you've got a big meeting coming up the best way to come up with ideas is not to sit at your desk and bang your head off your keyboard. It's to get out and go for a walk and, and come back. And so I think one of the biggest changes is I don't feel guilty about that anymore. I, I recognize that it's work and moving work is just as valuable as sitting work. And so I do that. I just love taking different approaches to the mind. You know, when we're trying to kind of like address the mind with too many mind things, yeah. this feels like such a nice and it makes you feel instantly so different. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. This has been excellent. As you can tell, I'm clearly like a mega fan. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific guest coming up in future episodes just let me know shoot me a message on instagram or twitter it's just at poppy jamie and so until next time stay flexible stay true to you and stay leaning into love hold up What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.